For those who fish, this is the Drake cast. He was tying feathers on a hook. I'll do a hopper with a hopper dropper with a dropper hopper. The river was like a woman. It could be a disco midge, it could be a bead head. I'm your host, Elliot Adler. Alrighty. A few weeks ago, I sat down with a man named Travis Schwartz. Nine five niner five five niner. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Travis sports a perpetual five o'clock shadow. He's tall and incredibly lean, like the kind of lean that you know he can eat whatever the heck he wants without gaining a pound. So where are we? What is this place? Uh, this is just my office. It's nothing special. It's funny because I tell people I have an office and they're shocked by that. <laughs> what the hell do you do? <laughs> people like see, see me on the internet and they think all I do is fish and like live in a van, you know, or something like that. But I, I own a, a video production company like produce corporate videos. It's really exciting. It's super exciting. But you all probably know Travis by another name. The Real Adventures of Fly Fishing Expert, Hank Patterson. Your fly fishing guide. Because when he's not making super exciting commercials for companies in Boise, Idaho, Travis is a world-renowned fly fishing expert and guide that goes by the name of Hank Patterson. My name is Hank Patterson, fly fishing expert. It's my buddy Larry. Reese. Reese, whatever. Been fly fishing now for about two, maybe three and a half years. I've got a river runs through it on Blu-ray, so yeah. <laughs> I guess you could say I know a thing or two about fly fishing, so. For those of you who think you don't know who Hank Patterson is, well, it turns out that you already do. You just heard a clip from him, actually. I'll do a hopper with a hopper dropper with a dropper hopper. Hank is so famous that he's been in every episode of the Drake cast. But there's a lot more to Hank out there. Just get on the YouTube. I'll tell you what they were hitting on in here yesterday. Little midges. Then like a mating midge. So what you got, you got like a midge, and then like tied on the same hook, you got another midge. Call that a mating midge. Like they're making love, two midges making love, right? If that's not working, you go a third midge. So you got a midge, making love to a midge, and then another midge. Call that a menage a midge. Yeah. You got four or five midges on there, you got a morgy. And so today, we're going to chat with Travis about Hank. We'll look into how Mr. Patterson came to be and chat about some of his best moments, which we'll splice into this conversation. Finally, we'll hear how Hank has changed Travis. So stick around. First of all, thanks for agreeing to this interview. I know you've done other podcasts as Hank, but if you're willing, I'd like to do this interview with Travis Schwartzman, kind of yeah. about Hank. Okay, you got to get my name right. So in the email, you spelled it wrong because you put a C-H in it. So it's just S-W-A-R-T-Z. I'm going to spell it so that later you, you don't you know, fuck it up again. And, uh, uh, and then it's not Schwartzman. <laughs> Is that Jason Schwartzman? Is there a Schwartzman in the in, in uh, Wes Anderson movies? <laughs> yeah, he's doing much better than me. He has a nicer office. It's not a converted garage. Uh, so first of all, what's what's your background? And as we've talked about a little bit here, mm -hmm. video production company. So my background started in like if we're like it's just like Hank, uh, high school graduate, uh, didn't go to college. So uh, got out of high school. In in high school, I had done Shakespeare. 
uh, in the summers as an intern and got hired right out of high school to go do Shakespeare in New York. And for about seven years out of high school, I just did theater contracts in New York, Sacramento. Do you, do you have a favorite <laughs> soliloquy or a Shakespearean sonnet or line? Well, that you can... uh, uh, my favorite Shakespeare show that I ever did was um, King Lear in Portland. Probably the biggest show I was ever a part of. You know, bigger budget, you know, big, you know, downtown Portland stage. Super cool experience. I, I had a very small, small role in that. And uh, I, I had one line in the entire show. And I don't remember the line, but essentially I come out and Cordelia is doing something. And I come out and basically my line is... Something like, hey, the British are coming. And she says, tis known before. And so I always thought, I have a, in a three and a half hour show, I have one line, which is, hey, these people are coming. And yeah, we already know. It's like, well, shit. And so that was my whole line and the whole thing. Um, and then I did a show for the Idaho Shakespeare Festival called Spring Awakening uh, that got shut down because of nudity. There was nudity. And so, you know, Idaho's a fairly conservative place. And you can imagine 20 years ago, which is when this was, uh, that it was even more conservative, if that's possible. And uh, so there was nudity in it. And, and, you know, God forbid somebody see a wiener. So, uh, so it ended up, they ended up deciding they had to, to shut the show down. But the interesting part of that story is it got shut down and I ended up on uh, uh, American Theater Magazine, which is, you know, I mean, this is the pinnacle of magazines in, in, you know, in the theater world. But I was so proud. I was like, oh my God, I've got a huge, there's a huge picture of me in, in American uh, Theater Magazine with my hand on a girl's boob. It was fantastic. Those are my theater stories. And, and then in between theater, I threw pizza. And so you have to have, if you're going to do theater, you have to have a skill for when your contracts run out. Mine happened to be, I could really, I can throw pizza. If you, you know, want to have a, you know, slightly better than minimum wage job all your life, you, you gravitate towards something like that and you become good at it. And then uh, I, I ended up in, in touring the children's theater, we would do a show 120 times. And after about three times, I'm pretty sick of a show. And... And so I started to really burn out on it, and I had uh, a kid. So I, I had my first daughter when I was 21. As she got older, I just felt like we didn't want to be moving around so much. So I came back to Boise. Well, let me back up. I went to Portland, took some film classes, because I decided I wanted to get into film. And then just came back, settled in Boise, and, and just been here ever since for a long time. <laughs> so uh, were you a fly fisherman beforehand? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So let that just roll into how did this whole Hank Patterson thing start? <laughs> uh, Hank Patterson. So Reese and me had uh, Reese Ferguson and I super good friends. We grew up together um, from high school on. And, you know, he started working for Loon Outdoors uh, and got into fly fishing. And, and I had, you know, gotten into fly fishing um, around the same time. And and. Uh, was into the film stuff and had shot some films and you know was really into that and, and we always talked about wanting to do a fly fishing film and that that would be really cool but that the idea was well there's I don't know what to do one about if there's a good idea I want to make a fly fishing film if there's not a good idea then I don't want to just go out and point a camera at at me fishing you know I'm not very good at it so that wouldn't be exciting uh, so anyway uh, he had been diagnosed with melanoma and he found out about an uh, organization called Real Recovery. They take men with uh, 
cancer, whether you're a cancer survivor or you're going, you're stage four or any, if you have a cancer experience, they take these men on these three day fishing retreats. You know, they gather and have these super cool conversations to sort of share their experience. And, and a lot of them have never been able to do that. And, and then they also go fishing which is the part they look forward to more than sitting and sharing their stories. Uh, but at the end of it, they may switch that. So we, I said, that's a fantastic idea for a fly fishing film. Let's do some, you know, I haven't seen anything like that. And so let's do a, a, a film about uh, this real recovery and the experience that you have going to the retreat. And so we needed to raise some money so I could hire a crew to shoot the film. Uh, Drake Magazine uh, was uh, doing a competition that they do every year that Reese had found out about. And he calls me, he's like, hey, this Drake Magazine is, is doing a, a film competition and one of the, you know, you win a thousand bucks if you win and one of the categories is humor. And I was like, well, have you ever, I mean, are there funny fly fishing films? And he's like, not that I'm aware of. And I thought, well, perfect. You know, this is the bar is low. And so we decided we would make something to submit. So I sat down and, and started brainstorming ideas. And then I had done this character that's similar to Hank and something else. Uh, and Reese had brought that character up and, and he said, well, why don't make him like a fishing guide? And I was like, perfect. And so wrote it, shot and edited it and had it, you know, um, FedEx to uh, Tom by at the Drake all within three days. And within about two to three hours of Tom receiving it, because you can see when they receive it, because it was FedEx, he basically called and was like, uh, I just watched this thing and he's like, holy shit, is this, are you for real? And I'm like, not at all. And he's like, fantastic. And he basically was like, you win. You know, he's like, this, this is the funniest thing I've seen in, you know, all the years of doing this. And he was very complimentary and, and it was, it was super good to hear because I was like, I don't know how people are going to take this character, you know? And so it, it, it was, it was super cool. And so, so we won that, we won some GoPro camera. We didn't get the thousand dollars, Tom. Um, but uh, somebody else won the overall thing, whatever, some feel-good garbage. Anyway, so uh, we should have probably gotten a thousand bucks, so Tom Bai owes me a thousand dollars. But uh, we got the GoPro cameras, which, which I still have, and you know, af after that, we just, I just put it online, and I wake up the next morning, I'm looking at YouTube, I'm like, holy shit, we have like 40,000 views. And I call Reese, and I'm like, we have 40,000 views, and he's just like, what? What are people mistaking us for? <laughs> well, yeah. And so it just sort of then, it was everywhere. You know, I would go on Facebook or whatever, and I mean, Sims had posted it, and, you know, Smith Optics had posted it, and, and you know, the Drake obviously had posted it. All those, you know, blogs and sites had posted the thing, and, and then I got a, a phone call from, from some people that wanted to send us some free stuff. And since they were going to send free stuff, I said, oh, I need new waiters. So I wrote the next episode about me having a problem, you know, pissing in my waiters. God dang it. I got piss in my waiters again. I urinated in my waiters again. God dang it. I swear to God, you can't take a leak in waiters without filling them halfway full of piss. If they just put like a little barn door, you know what I'm saying? Just like a little tiny... Just a little bitty barn door. Just a little, hey, little, little piglet out. Take a little wee-wee, right? Just a little, I just, cause I've just got a, like a big barn door, like hog door, that's what I mean. 
hoping that somebody would then send me free waders, which, which then they did. And so we really kept it going to get free stuff. And, and so, yeah, I've got a lot of stuff. That was when? Like what year? It's like five and a half years ago, I think. I don't know the exact year, I'll be honest. Like probably 2013-ish, 2012 maybe even. I mean, it was, so it's been a while. Which is really weird. I, I you know, the, the, there was never a plan to keep Hank Patterson going. I mean, Hank's named after my dad's dog. Patterson is named after my friend Michael Patterson. I was just scrolling through Facebook and wanted something that sounded funny with the name Hank. I was just trying to get a thousand bucks. And again, super surprised that it was that popular. And, and so when it was and we were getting free stuff. Yeah, so we just kept it going out of that. And then Orvis really was a huge supporter and uh, got behind it and, and asked me to speak at some shows and Trout Unlimited asked me to speak at some stuff for them. So that just sort of started to make it a little bit bigger of a world. Like all of a sudden people wanted me to come and speak at things. As um, Hank. As Hank. Oh yeah. No, no, no. Nobody could give a shit about Travis. Always as Hank. It took off and it's not something planned to keep doing. And, and uh, people ask me at shows all the time, you know, if, oh man, you just kill, they think it makes a lot of money. <laughs> and then I thought, oh, you're not in fly fishing. It does not make a lot of money. I, I'm not getting rich, but I'm, I'm getting some killer experience. Is, is make a funny video and people just send you that for free. You know, I mean, you're, you know, sort of goofy looking. I mean, you could probably do really good. So the first Hank video I ever saw was the tips to nymphing and this also happened to be right around the time that I started fishing with a bobber. And <laughs> I found that you walk this fine line between acknowledging that it's a very effective way of fishing mm -hmm. while making fun of the people that are too into it. And you walk this fine line, almost Cervantes-esque, of <laughs> blending reality and just a completely absurd character. And I don't really quite know what my question is here, but like, you're obviously being ridiculous, but it's also a commentary on the world of fly fishing. Like, how do you walk that fine line? Um, Hank Patterson has a logic. There's logic to everything that he does. And, and, and I always say it's a logic that we can follow. So when he's talking about like that you should hear the snap in your cast. Now the first thing you want to do when you're casting a fly line you want to get a, as much line as you can out. Get a lot of line out and just really strip that line out and get it there because you want to be casting as much line as possible. And then once you got a lot of line out there, you're going to want to really snap that thing. You want to snap it forward. If you don't hear it snapping, you're not doing it right. And when you land that fly on the water, you want it to splash down as hard as you can. You want it to splash as hard as you can because that's how a fish is going to see your fly. They're going to see that splash, all that activity on the water, and that's when they're going to go and hit your fly. To somebody who's never fly fished, I mean, that might sound like a real thing. There's a logic to that. So there's a logic to how Hank would respond to anything. So if, so when I, I was thinking, when I think about a bobber fishing, I think about somebody that really wants to get into fly fishing. And so we think of a river runs through it. So that's when fly fishing really exploded at one point. It's exploded for various reasons throughout history, but, but it really exploded because of a river runs through it in the early 90s. So I imagine, would it have exploded had those fly fishing shots been a guy with a bobber nymphing fish? Today we're gonna to be exploring the dark, seedy, murky, cloudy, disgusting underwater world of fishing with nymphs.
also known as nymphing or getting down and dirty, or as I like to call it, the exact opposite of why we all got into fly fishing in the first place. So I refer to it as the exact opposite of why we got into fly fishing in the first place, because I think that's absolutely logical from Hank's point of view. It, that is not a sexy, exciting thing to look at. Fish rising, dry flies floating on the water, fish hitting them. That is what we really think when we think fly fishing, especially if they don't fly fish. And so, <laughs> I don't even know where I'm going with this answer. That's good. You didn't know where you were going with the question. I don't know where I'm going. So, I, I guess I just try to, to, to look at the things that you do in, in fly fishing or the outdoors and, and try to put Hank's logic in it and how he would basically, for lack of a better way of saying this, fuck it up. You know, how, how would he logically and Hank logic completely mess that up? Or how ridiculous is it? I mean, everybody that goes out nymph fishing with a guide will complain later about how many times they heard the words mend it. Step four, mend it, mend it, mend it. Then you want to mend it. And then once you're done mending it, you got to mend it again because you're going to mend it over and over and over and over and over again. Okay, nymphing isn't about casting, it's about mending. And they just get, you know, aggro about it. And so that's funny. Um, or, you know, watching a bobber, you know, and, and setting a hook. I mean, I've stood with, with guys setting on the same rock over and over. We all have. Step five, you got to set that hook, all right? If that bobber moves at all, you got to set that hook, okay? If it hits a rock, set that hook. If it hits a twig, set that hook. If it hits the bottom, set that hook. If it moves, if it twitches, if it wibbles, if it slows down, you set that hook. And so you just sort of observe the fact that we've all had these shared experiences with the ridiculousness of fishing uh, nymphs or, or with a bobber. And at the same time, it's like, why? This is not what I signed up for. I signed up for a river runs through it, damn it. But at the same time, in a video like that, I want to acknowledge the fact that I think Nymph fishing is a much more difficult thing to master. I'm not very good at it. I don't do it very often, um, but I'm not against it. I'll absolutely, t you know, it's not. But if I'm being honest, it's, it is the last thing I'll do. I mean, some people, I had a guy in West Virginia who absolutely hated me because of that video. And, and he really was one of those guys that gets all kinds of bent out of shape when you call it a bobber instead of a strike indicator. Step one. If you want to catch fish, and you do, you got to learn to fish with nymphs, and you got to learn to do it right. The first thing you do is admit to yourself that, hey, I'm not good enough to catch a fish on a dry fly. I've completely given up, I have no self-worth, and I've got no pride, so I've switched to nymphs. Step two, pick a nymph. Any old nymph, anything will do. They're all just glorified turds. Step three, put a bobber on your line. All right, if you want to call that a strike indicator so you can sleep at night calling yourself fly fisherman, you go ahead. I call it a bobber because it's a bobber. But he did not like that video, even though in the video I tried to explain to him, I'm like, dude, in the video I say, if you want to catch fish, you better learn how to nymph. Nymphing can best be described as exactly like fishing with worms. Now, that being said, if you go fishing and you want to catch fish, uh, you got to take a pile of nymphs with you. I mean, if one of the objectives to your fishing trip is to catch something, uh, you got to learn how to fish with nymphs. And I'm making a video about nymph fishing and giving tips on how to do it. I you know, it's pro-nymphing. It's not really that negative. It is. So he was all upset about the, the strike indicator thing. And so they had thingamabobbers hanging on their wall. So I walked over to it and I said, where are the thingama strike indicators? I said, the number one strike indicator company on the planet calls it a bobber. 
So if I want, I'm, I'm going to call it a bobber too. So that kind of leads me into the question of why do you fish? I mean, that's a very broad question, but it sounds from your explanation right there. It's not necessarily to catch fish. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it better not be. <laughs> Some new material I'm working on really is all about like gone casting as opposed to gone fishing. Um, I fish, you know, in, in my early twenties, had a, had a daughter, had a lot going on, but essentially had, you know, had a, had a little family and stuff like that. But I, you know, I just needed something. I needed something not to get away from them. I just, I bring up that I had a lot of responsibility and we're, you know, whether it's doing theater or working or, you know, you just have so many things pulling at your time. And I, I think I just needed, uh, to be in touch with, uh, the things that I loved when I was a kid. So when I was a kid, camping and fishing were a big part of my life. Got into high school, got into girls, got into drugs, you know, get, I got into all those things, you know, <laughs> um, and, 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 and got into things that were, but, you know, just got into a lot of things that sort of took me out of, of, of the outdoors and, and sort of the, the benefits that just being outside, you know, that give a person mentally. But anyway, I, I just gotten away from all that, and I just think that something came over me one day, and I said, I just, I just need to go up into the mountains. I had a Volkswagen bus, and I'm like, I just need to drive up into the mountains, and and I'm just gonna go fish. So I went, but I went and bought one of those, uh, you know, kits that just a fly fishing kit and a handful of flies, and went up on the Payette River and and my bus, and spent like three days. Just nobody taught me. I just basically teaching myself really bad habits on fly fishing. And for the next probably five or six years, I probably fished alone. I don't think I ever fished with anybody, had anybody teach me anything. I just would kind of figure it out. You know, if the, the question is why, why do I fish? It's, it's uh, you know, it's the same as probably a lot of people. It absolutely clears my mind. Uh, everything at work and, and, stresses and everything else just sort of disappears um when when you're fishing for me it does it and so uh you know it just sort of lifts the worry and the stress and the, all those things away and 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 it just happens to be fishing for me it, it you know i think there are other ways to do that for other people for me it just happens to be fishing and so i, I literally do it just to get away because it's the absolute antithesis uh, to stress and work. Very nice. What are some of your favorite Hank moments? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and it's, that's tough. Uh, my favorite stuff in the videos would be when Hank takes long pauses. <laughs> when we first, we did one early on uh, where uh, I'm talking about the caddis hatch. You just see fish rising everywhere, and I'm like, oh man, yesterday we were down I don't know, dude. We caught like four deer. 60, maybe 65 fish out of here yesterday. All on caddis. Morning, caddis. Afternoon, caddis. Evening, caddis. Caddis, caddis, caddis. Bam, bam, bam. 60, 70, 80 fish right out of here. We tried everything. They, they wouldn't hit anything but caddis. I should have brought one. And there's this long pause. Should have brought one. And I just, they're long pauses that 
you and you're just trying to anticipate what's the next stupid thing to come out of his mouth. A really popular one's always the the paralyzer to the chode, the bear story. If you got a grizzly bear and you spot him and he's sort of checking you out, you want to make yourself real big, right? Because a grizzly bear is going to be less likely to attack something that's real big and scary. So you see a grizzly bear, the first thing you want to do, eye contact. Give it eye contact. Stare it down. Get big. Get big. Eye contact. Get big. He starts charging. You charge right back. Now, if that's a male bear, you drop to one knee. Bam! Paralyzer to the chode. That's gonna that's gonna drop him, right there. You get a paralyzer to the chode right in there. Bam! That's gonna drop him. What I love about paralyzer to the chode is this is something that me and my friends would like attack each other and in, uh, in, in high school and and throw a paralyzer to the chode would be like that's a wrestling move that will absolutely destroy you. So the night before we shot that episode, and I came up with the, you know, how he would handle a bear attack. And, uh, and then it was paralyzer to the chode, and then I thought, well, you can't paralyze, you know, a female bear like that. Now, mama bear, she's got cubs, right? What do you do? Grab a cub. Grab a cub. That's the first thing you want to do. If you run into a grizzly bear mama with her cubs in the wild, the first thing you do, you run over and you grab a cub. All right? You pick that thing up, and you've got that cub. All right, because she's not going to attack a cub. She's not going to attack you when she's got, you got her cub. Okay, she's afraid for the cub. All right, she doesn't want to hurt the cub. So she's going to back off. And then what do you get? You're going to lightly, you're going to set that cub down. Send it on its way. Go ahead. Go on back to mama. You got an understanding now with that mama bear. Okay, she's going to turn around. She's going to take her cubs. She's going to respect you. She's going to respect you. She's going to turn around and walk away. That's what you want to do. I got bear spray. I'm, I'm probably just going to spray it with the bear spray, okay? So I don't have to go through all that hula baloo. You do. So again, it goes back to the logic. What would Hank Patterson tell you to do if you ran into a mama bear and her cubs? I will tell you grabbing a cub and getting it between you and the mama bear is probably a bad idea, but if you want to look at it logically, it might not be. Of course that's a stupid thing to do. Of course it is. But you can follow that logic, how somebody would be like, you can get set up a hostage situation between you and the mama bear. She's not going to attack you because she doesn't want to hurt the cub. And part of you goes, maybe kind of true. I mean, it might work. I, we'll never know because nobody's going to try it, but it might work. Uh, and so I, I did enjoy uh, uh, writing the, the bear thing because the next day I hadn't told Reese what I wrote. Because um, I always think, well, I'm going to try to see if Reese will laugh. If I can make Reese laugh, then I know it's funny. And uh, I hadn't told him what I was going to do. I said, I just just go with it. Just stand here and go with it. And I would do that a lot to him. I'd be like, just stand here and go with it. Because he never acted or did anything. He's like, what, what should I do? I said, just stand there and look like you wish that you weren't here. And he would be like, okay, because I wish I wasn't. And uh, so anyway, so so that that stuff was fun. You know, the whole experience is fun. You know, I, I think Hank's probably at his best, shorter you know, videos, um, than, than the longer ones. So I, uh, I like when we go out and it's not planned. So I think that was one of your questions. Do I script all of it? Um, there are things that are absolutely unscripted hopper with a hopper dropper and a, and a dropper hopper completely unscripted. Just, we hadn't even planned to be shooting yet. You know, you gotta try hopper like a hopper dropper. So that's like a hopper. And then you've got like a hopper dropper. That's two hoppers. A lot of times on a freestone like this, I'll do a hopper with a hopper dropper with a dropper hopper. So that's a hopper 
then you got another hopper you got a third hopper i just had this idea pop into my head and so some of my favorite moments are just me going off on and completely unplanned um all the stuff in the car at the end of the first episode some of the stuff that you pointed out and i can't even remember i mean the fish you're gonna find up here you're gonna find uh rainbow cut bow uh cut browns brown bows rain browns uh cutty rain browns uh pike perch so cutty rain brown has become a big thing well that just came out of my mouth i didn't know there were such things as a cut bow i think i said something like that in it i think when i said it i thought i was making a hilarious joke so that tells you how much i knew about some of it when i first started i love to look for moments where hank just loses his mind and just gets pissed it's a size nine oh, are you kidding me it's the only one i had it's the only one i brought well it's a fly i lost my fly I really want, God damn it. Well, it costs 89 cents. That's why I'm looking for it. Cause it costs 89 cents. It's my go-to fly. I catch fish here with it all the time. I only brought one. Son of a bitch. All right. Well, probably won't catch anything today. Might as well pack this up. I'm over it. I'm over it. Let's just look one more time. Um, and I love to look for moments where he can teach you something um, and just be so far wrong, but close enough that some idiot's going to think it's real. I have the Yellowstone video, so where Hank is giving advice on how to survive Yellowstone National Park. And today, I'm here with a few tips and techniques on how you can survive a trip to Yellowstone National Park. Every year, tens of hundreds of thousands of people are smashed and trampled and smushed to death in Yellowstone by bison, elk, moose, llama, antelope. Thousands more have their faces chewed off by grizzlies and polar bears, and 32,000 people are kidnapped by wolves, never to be heard from again. The ridiculousness and the obvious satire, and, and it's so obvious that it's humor. I can't tell you how many times I've had people email me to let me know that none of this is right. None of this is true. And, and that I'm bringing a bad name to Yellowstone and that we live near the park and it's not like this at all. And that many people aren't dying and you're giving bad advice. And I'm like, you've got, I mean, wow, this is a next level of, of, uh, like stupidity to me. It's like the only thing dumber than Hank Patterson is if you watch that video and think it's real. Or I had somebody tell me that the bear advice, grab a cub, that I should put a disclaimer on it for fear of being sued. I literally like called a lawyer. I was like, is this like, should I really be worried about like somebody doing that? And he's like, it is so obviously a joke that you're, you're pretty safe. He's like, you know, and I'm like, been in the herd. But yeah, that stuff gets, that, that's, pretty funny is when people take it really serious. But you know you've done a good job because you're riding that line. That's a fantastic line to walk. Eventually you can't walk that line. It's it's just obvious and so the videos don't rely so much on that. But um, but anyway, it, it uh, the fact that, and still people are still finding them for the first time and I'm and, and thinking that this is a real idiot. 
And apparently people can watch that Yellowstone video and think that that's somebody giving actual advice. And that's, that's pretty funny. It's no wonder that 178,000 people will perish in Yellowstone this year, which is exactly why I've developed Hank Patterson's Six Simple Steps to Surviving Yellowstone National Park. But before we can hear those six tips, a few words from our sponsors. This episode of the Drake Cast is brought to you by Scott Flyrods. I got Jim Barchi, the president of Scott Flyrods, on the phone the other day. Well, it's pretty amazing is that since 1974, Scott has done one thing and one thing only, and that's handcraft high-performance fly rods. That's it. I asked Jim why he uses a Scott fly rod. Okay, um, uh, that's easy. Why would I fish with something other than the rod I made? Well played, Jim. Check them out at your local fly shop or scottflyrod.com. This episode is also brought to you by Yellow Dog Fly Fishing Adventures. This is Bessie Buholtz with Yellow Dog Fly Fishing Adventures. As the industry leader in fly fishing travel, we specialize in sending anglers all around the world in search of the very best fly fishing opportunities and experiences. We offer a fantastic lineup for both freshwater and saltwater, with more than 190 operations in 26 different countries. This week's featured destination is New Zealand. Home to the largest and most beautiful brown trout in the world, the rivers of New Zealand are legendary to anyone who is serious about freshwater fishing. This is the destination for anglers looking to target trophy browns while sight fishing the country's crystal clear waters. Give us a call here at Yellow Dog or visit us online at yellowdogflyfishing.com. And remember that while there's a lot of ways to get there, there's only one way to do it right. Alrighty, back to Hank Patterson's six simple steps for surviving Yellowstone National Park. Step one, uh, stay the f away from bison. Step two, when it comes to grizzly bears, you're gonna wanna stay the f away. Step three, if you see an elk, stay the f away from it. Step four, wolves. Now that's a whole different program. If you run into wolves, you wanna kind of really be quiet when you stay the f away. One of my favorite things about Hank's videos is Reese's character. He's just so deadpan. And it's following a classic comedy duo shtick of mm -hmm. the ridiculous character that does all the talking and then the straight man who says nothing. And so what did you tell Reese to pretend like he didn't want to be there? I just, that was the only direction we ever gave Reese was, was just look uncomfortable. Like, you want to be a million miles away. And it was always like, don't do too much. I mean, just don't do too much. I mean, just stand there and, and have subtle reactions. And, and the, 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 the more subtle the reaction, uh, the better. And, and don't try to be funny. And so with, with Reese, uh, he was just a brilliant straight man and came up with a lot of the jokes. I mean, so early on, a lot of the jokes were his. So we would talk and, you know, I would, I would ultimately script it but based on conversations we'd had and jokes that he'd written and, and given me. And so, yeah, he's, he's brilliant. And, and, uh, and, and it changed a lot. It, so it changed a lot without him being able to participate and you can't replace that and there's no reason to. And, and, uh, and so it changes because now it, it you know, it relied so heavily on having the client <laughs> and that was, you know, a huge part of the joke. And he was absolutely a lot of people's 
fa the, their favorite thing was watching him behind me as opposed to, you know, anything I was saying. And so it was, it was tough when, when he was unable to do them anymore to decide, A, should we keep going? And just to pause you, um, he was unable to do it because of medical circumstances? Yeah, so he had melanoma, which, which uh, eventually, um, you know, they just caught it too late. And so skin cancer um, eventually became lung cancer and eventually became brain cancer. And, and they just couldn't, you know, they couldn't, uh, they couldn't, you know, get it, get it out of his brain. And so, you know, he, he ultimately passed away of uh, cancer. But even the last three years of, of his life, he wasn't physically able to do it anymore. You know, it's, it's tough. The, the last episode that he did with me, it's tough because, you know, he was going through chemo and, and was, was ill. And, and, you know, if you, if you watch the video, you can see a real physical change in him. Still just as funny as he, as he was in any other. Um, but just physically, he, he, he looked different. And, and after that one, um, you know, we didn't know what the, you know, future held and stuff like that, but we just sort of took a little hiatus from it all. And, and unfortunately it, it, uh, you know, it just, it's cancer, man. It just, sucks so we had conversations about that and and about you know you should go and do more of this and just keep it going and it's super fun and and do more with trout unlimited do more with with real recovery if there's something cool that we can do with the characters you know moving you know forward and stuff like that that you know should try to you know try to use it for for something try to make it not only a joke, but is there like something positive you can do with it? Because Reese was very much a person that was like really loved doing good things for other people. Um, struggled with having people do good things for him. Uh, so, I mean, I think that was probably one of the most difficult things for him about the cancer and happened to have so much help uh, was that he, he liked helping as opposed to, you know, receiving help. So yeah, I decided to move on and, but the very first, uh, thing that, you know, we talked about was, well, you can't, uh, replace the character because no, you know, that's not fair to the person that would replace him. It's not fair to him. It's just, it's just not right. And so how do you, so now what? There isn't a client. Uh, and then the first episode, like Hank Patterson episode really without Reese was the the nymphing one and we had the little girl as as our as the client in it throw right up here right up there boom give it a good cast mend it nice let that go through hey tell me this your dad a good tipper i mean like when you go out to restaurants and whatever does he leave a pretty good tip i don't know how could you not know that all right, well, look, just in case, all right, just in case he's like a cheapskater, which he probably is, uh, do you know where he keeps his wallet? No. Great. Hey, do you know what a PIN number is? Have you ever heard him say something about a PIN number? You know what a credit card looks like? Yep. That a kid. All right, we're halfway there. We'll go up to the car here in a bit. You like beer? She was fantastic, and it was very much because I had stuff written for it and I had some great ideas and I thought doing a thing with a kid would be really funny um, because Hank would absolutely talk to a child as a peer. 
and and it also allowed us to do something where she wouldn't be compared to oh Reese can't be there so now we have it it would it would serve this great purpose of of being able to do an episode where Reese wasn't able to be there uh, but not have it feel like we tried to replace Reese which which we can't and never would and never will try to do we'll never have another silent the client you know if he was still here today he would always be in the episodes if we continued doing it together that was that was his that was his and and now it's just people step in and out of them and and can and can take the brunt of Hank <laughs> but uh anyway yeah so so you mentioned this some of Reese's thoughts of continuing this was maybe making it for a bigger purpose a lot of people watch your videos when you're on screen they listen to you because they they know even if you're being serious that there's going to be some good humor embedded in there. Do you feel like a responsibility? Do you have an agenda that you're trying to push forward? Is there a larger goal with this hate character now? Uh, no. I mean, there's really not. I don't, I don't think I have an agenda. What, what I would like to be open to is, is opportunity to help with, especially conservation, uh, or with, with real recovery. I mean, real recovery you know, to a degree, you know, was, was an impetus to start the whole thing. Um, and I believe in their mission. And, and uh, so it's, it's opportunity. It's like, I don't have an agenda of here's what I'm going to do for conservation or here's what I'm going to do for, I think everybody plays their part. My part isn't to figure out how conservation. I'm not a scientist. I'm not smart about all these. I don't know. But so what I do is try to find an opportunity. Is this a cool organization? Is there something I can can do with this character that will support their efforts. But I think the Hank Patterson thing can also do is disarm the, the political subjects. So if you go on Facebook and somebody says climate change, oh, get, it, get out of the way. Because it's going to be like people are going to lose their effing minds over the climate change issue. Nobody's going to be listening. Nobody's... I know climate change is a, is a thing. It's not, I don't, I, I about said I believe in climate change. It's like it, to me, it's not about believing or not, um, but it's a hot topic. And so I think that the, the Hank Patterson thing can hopefully be used in a way to sort of disarm that initial argument. You can't start a conversation with your middle finger. It just doesn't work. And so if you're in a really intense situations like that I, humor i believe is a great way to disarm all of that i mean if, if both sides can sort of look at themselves and find some common ground through humor um which i absolutely think is is possible and that might seem lofty for something like hank patterson to be able to do you know the video in the in the the, the soapbox speech that i give in the in the f3t this year was was basically that it was it was i'm not gonna I, all i'm gonna do is suggest two things one is that it's important that conservation is important and that you know we can you know you talk to a lot of people that go to film tours uh, the film tour and and, and say I, I hear that a lot it's like ah oh, man there's a lot of stuff about conservation and message and you know and i want more fish porn you have to have a conservation message now look i know what you're thinking when i say conservation message no hey god please no <laughs> 
Oh, God. No conservation messages, please. No, God, no. Of course, you get the other people that are like, too much fish porn, you know. <laughs> uh, you can't win. But, um, but I sort of took that as, well, we kind of can't talk too much about it because, I mean, it's that important. And I get it. Hey, I wish that everything was awesome and that we didn't need to hear more conservation messages, but the reality is we do. Unfortunately, we need to have loud and constant reminders that the world, the rivers, the air, the ocean, the dirt, and the fish need to be protected from pollution, corruption, ruin, and extinction. Now, I know what you're thinking. Hey, man. I'm just one person, what can I do? I'm just an accountant or a, a mechanic or maybe you're a heart doctor and you're thinking, I can't save the world. And you're right, you can't. But you can participate in the process. You can do your small part. So what can you do? Well, number one, uh, you can give a Actually, you should give two And if you've got a third you should probably give it because the planet could use a third And uh, with that particular video, all, all I wanted to do is say, we should all be willing to be wrong and we should all be willing to listen. And that, that was sort of the whole thing. So it's, it's back to the disarming thing. It's just like, if you're watching this right now and I just said climate change and conservation and you think it's all a bunch of shit, I'm just asking you to like be willing to listen. Now, three through 12, don't pollute, don't litter, don't be apathetic, don't believe that conservation or climate change are political issues, because that's a trap. The planet doesn't care if you vote for an elephant or a donkey, and neither do I. Be willing to listen to each other. Be willing to be wrong. I'm wrong all the time. I mean, not about this, but it does happen. I mean, be kind when you disagree with other people. And for the love of all that's holy, don't believe the lie that there's just nothing that you can do. Anyway. Hell yeah, you need a conservation message in your video. And then after you get down off your soapbox, you better get back to the fish porn. Look, you just have to be able to look at things from the other side's perspective and, and respect their, you know, their views, regardless of how uh, opposed to yours they are. Because if you don't understand the person and their views, then there's just nowhere you can go with it. This is heavy for a Hank Patterson. Holy shit. So how has Hank changed Travis? Like, how has he impacted you? Uh, the biggest thing that Hank Patterson's done is, people will find this odd, um, I have a really horrible anxiety disorder um, that has almost completely disappeared for, from doing Hank Patterson. Uh, travel being with new people, hanging out with people. I, I still am not a person that goes and hangs out. I do the show, I go away. Um, a lot. Uh, not a real, uh, I'm not a terribly social person uh, in certain settings. I love stuff like this. I love getting together and, and having coffee and doing an interview or having a conversation. I love going fishing. I love, I love that kind of stuff. You know, going out and partying and stuff like that's just not my, not my thing. But I would say I have in the past had pretty horrible uh, anxiety, uh, panic attack issues. Super debilitating. And like I said, I did theater early, but then I got to a point where it made me super nervous and just anxiety ridden to even think about being on stage. And so Hank forcing me to travel and meet new people has made that really comfortable for me to go and travel and meet new people. Whereas before, travel and I just felt out of control and had a really, really hard time with it. 
and, and, and getting up in front of people, something that I love to do, it sort of got me comfortable with that again. And uh, so it's, it's actually been a huge, huge change in the last six years, five years. You know, the only sort of uncomfortable, or not uncomfortable, but thing about going and doing shows is after I get up and speak and stuff like that, are they expecting me to be in full Hank mode like for the rest of the night to go out and party and go out and do this or go, you know, or even like if we're going to go fishing, is that, uh, you know, I always feel like they're going to be disappointed to find out that, that it's, <laughs> that it's just going to be me there. You know, it's like, well, we really want to take you fishing and, you know, and they're all excited and you just think, you know, me fishing all afternoons, just like fishing with anybody else. I mean, it's not, I mean, I, I think I'm probably a funny guy to have around. But Hank's Patterson character isn't going to be all day on the river and, you know, it's a character. What's next for Hank and what's next for you? Uh, so next for Hank, I just got some, some more short stuff. This year we'll just do short stuff, you know. I mean, I've questioned how long to keep doing it, you know, because at one point you just go, how, how much longer are we going to do this? It's, it's not about money. It's, it's you know, it's, it's really about, but time becomes sort of a precious commodity, but we'll keep doing it. You would think that with how amazing I am that people would just be throwing money at me. I see a lot of these films in the tour and I'm like, the shit did these people get all their money? Um, I should have that money. I'm famous. Uh, <laughs> and then next for me, uh, outside of Hank is, uh, there's a film out right now called Six Dynamic Laws that I'm the lead character and I'm, I'm just the actor. Uh, that gets released in May. And what is that? Uh, it's just a, it's a black and white film noir comedy uh, about uh, this guy trying to track down some, some missing money. There's a lot of stuff going on, hopefully. Oh, man. We'll Any, see. Anything else you'd like to include? I don't think, I don't think so. I just, you know, I mean, people ask all the time about Hank and and I've already said it in this interview, but... It, it's absolutely really cool that, that people like watching it. Uh, and it's really cool to get to go out and, and fish new waters and meet new people and sort of have all the experiences that it affords me. Um, is, is, it's a pretty cool thing to get to do. Uh, so if, if, uh, you know, if you're super hilarious and you can make award-winning films like me, I would, I would highly suggest it. You're, you're not going to make any money. Uh, you're going to lose money, but, um, uh, and the other thing I would say is if, if you listen to this and you like all this, that you should go to realrecovery.org and give them some money, uh, and make, and make sure to tell them I told you to, because I, you know, as a board member, I'm like on the hook to raise some money. <laughs> you know, I try to always remember, it's like, Hey, go join TU and, uh, and, and go give uh, Real Recovery some money. And, and if you know anybody who's experienced cancer that you think would benefit from a, a retreat, uh, you know, go there and get them signed up. There. Awesome. Many thanks to Travis Schwartz for agreeing to have this conversation. If you want to hear more from his alter ego, Hank Patterson, either check out YouTube or join your fellow fly fisher folk at one of the remaining fly fishing film tour screenings. Hank has some great material in there. And I know I said this episode was going to be a conversation with Sean Carey, but that's still to come. 
keep your eyes and ears peeled for the next chapter of this podcast. Thanks for listening. This has been The Drake Cast.